Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated, church. Let me first thank uh, Keith and uh, for selecting those beautiful, beautiful songs. And, uh, and whatever I wanted to preach, I think the message came out through the words of those beautiful song selections today. I thank God for that. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to have, welcome everybody, and nice to have people here in the sanctuary and those who are watching online. And, uh, and I, I, I'm hoping that everyone is doing well and keeping safe, and good to see uh, people all the way from the eastern part of Ontario. Good to see Rajan and, and, and Pradeep and, uh, and Jeeva and, and the little ones. Well, we are on a journey through the Gospel of John. And as John begins this gospel, in the first 18 verses, that's what we are trying to capture, he actually gives a prologue or an introduction, an introduction to the entire gospel, to the entire gospel. And it captures what John really wants to tell us to his audience, that's you and I, and as the recipients of this particular book. And... uh, and he's giving us the message uh, in the first 18 verses. Now, last time, when I first started this introduction, we looked at the verses 1 to 5. And in that, I, we spoke about the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I went through that in detail, and I told you that John shows us as the eternally, he is eternally God, is equally God, and essentially God. Then we looked at the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we learned that He is the maker of the creation and He is the master of the creation. And then we looked at the, the purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the one who brings life to deadness. And He is the one who brings light to our darkness. That's what He looked at on the very first day as we looked at the first five verses. Then last Sunday, we examined verses 6 to 13, and Pastor Dave was speaking about two witnesses, and he mentioned there was John the Baptist was leading the way, and Jesus Christ is the way. So in these verses from 1 to 18, as we looked at it, John presents his intro, and he declares the profound truths of Christ's deity and incarnation. That's what John is talking about in the first 18 verses. So he concludes this prologue, which we will be doing today, by giving us reasons, the recipients, reasons why we should believe in Jesus. And in response, he is expecting us to echo with Thomas to say, my Lord and my God. So as an introduction to today's lesson, I want to draw your attention to Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. There's a reason I want to take you there. Now, as the children of Israel, 
became idol worshippers as they were being channeled through the wilderness using the golden calf. And we know the story. We read it. And it made God very angry. It made him so angry that he communicated his extreme displeasure to Moses. And he said, I'm not going to accompany these children. He was so angry. And Moses tried to persuade God to change his mind. And eventually, because of God who he is, he promised to remain with Moses. I hope you remember the story. In the book of Exodus, we find that. And do you remember what Moses asked just after this encounter? Here's what Moses said. Then show me your glorious presence. Show me your glorious presence. And interestingly, then we read in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7, those curious mind, how God responds by showing Moses his sovereign grace, his compassion, and his truth. Let's look at this passage here. And Exodus 34, I read, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed... This is what the Lord is proclaiming. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It goes on. I'm not going to read the, everything there. But what we do see, the Lord God revealing himself to Moses. That's what you're seeing here. Telling Moses who he is. He is a sovereign God. He is a sovereign grace. And he's a God of compassion and God of truth. That's what he's saying. Now listen church. In our text today, as we come back 2,000 years or 4,000 years after that, John wants us to see that in Jesus, in Jesus, we see God's abundant grace. In Jesus. And goodness far more than what Moses saw. That's what John is trying to do here. So because Jesus is the ultimate revelation to us. So with that introduction, let's dive into today's passage. And we are going to look at verses 14 to 18 from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So I'm going to ask all of you here and those watching at home, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. And take your notebooks as well and pens, and I'm going to read the first verse, verse number 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I must tell you, church, today is more teaching than preaching, so please, please take down your own notes, because I'm not giving you any handouts. So firstly, in this passage, we see that John is saying, Jesus, the eternal word that we have been studying, became what? Flesh. Became flesh. So John now I definitely identifies and connects from this verse to verse number one. Look at this. And he says, in verse number one, we studied, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now he's connecting that to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to name Jesus in verse 17. We'll be studying that. So as you read this through, there are two truths 
about Jesus Christ that are very essential to Christian faith. The first one, we have already looked into that, as the eternal word, Jesus is fully God. And we went through that in detail on, on the first day in my teaching. The second truth that we're taking here, church, is very important for us, is when the eternal word took on flesh, he became fully human. He became fully human. Now, John could have easily said, look at this verse again, please, pay attention. He could have said, the word became man. Or he could have said, the word took on a human body. But probably John was confronting another early heresy called Docetism, where the belief was that Jesus only appeared to be human and he was not truly human. So John wants us to know that Jesus took upon himself our full human nature, of course, except sin. So the word became, what you see here in this passage, does not mean that God laid aside his deity or ceased to be God. What it means is that he added complete humanity to his eternal deity. That's what this means. So it means that Jesus' human nature was subject to, just like you and me, the hunger, the thirst, the weakness, and the, the, the tiredness, the temptation, and the death, but without sin. That's what John is talking about here. Let's read on. The second part of John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh, and now he says, what happened to the word? It dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. Now, John could have easily said, the word lived among us, isn't it? We would think it's the same meaning. It is not. He chose this un unusual word, which called dwelt among us. The word dwelt, if you look at the translation, what it really means is that to pitch a tent. It means to tabernacle. And as you hear this term tabernacle, it is used of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. We are all familiar with that. Where God dwelt with his people in the wilderness. So by using the word that was used of the tabernacle, and coupled with seeing Jesus' glory, what John is trying to tell all of us here, he is trying to make a connection to the tabernacle of the Old Testament and Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John. He's saying that just as his tabernacle was the place where God dwelt, where his people had an, a people and manifested his glory, so Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Just as the tabernacle was at the center of Israel's camp, what John is telling us, so Christ is to be the center of the church. Just as the tabernacle, just sacrifices and worship were offered at the tabernacle, what John is saying here, Jesus is our complete and final sacrifice, and we have to access to God through him. Let's keep reading. Then he goes on to say, not only that it became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. This is an NKJV translation. If you look at this simply, what it means is that we have seen his glory. 
Now John, everybody must realize this, John is writing this gospel in either late 80s or early 90s at the end of the story, after witnessing everything. He's seeing that I have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. God's glory simply means the sum of all His attributes and perfection. That's what it means. So here, what does John mean about His glory? John is referring to Jesus' glory, and we're going to look at it in the passages, as revealed in His miracles. And I showed you at the introduction, He uses the term signs, isn't it? Now, look at this. See how John reports. This is the, the, the miracle of turning water into wine. John records this, which John chapter 2, verse 11. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested what? His glory. Do you see that? His glory. And his disciples believed him. Another example here, look at this. And this is raising Lazarus from death. This sickness is not unto death, but for what? The glory of God. The glory of God. See how John is beautifully connecting this to the signs, and not only there, even in the example, when Judas went out of the upper room to betray the Savior, Jesus said this, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Well, here Jesus is talking about the betrayal and his death, and the Son of Man is glorified, is glorified. Now, as we read this, read on, on chapter 14, sorry, verse 14, John elaborates Jesus' glory in, with these two phrases. Look at this again. I'm going back to the same verse. He says, we beheld his glory, the glory as of, firstly, he said, only begotten of the Father. Secondly, he says, full of grace and truth. There are two phrases he's using about the glory of God. Number one, only begotten of the Father. Number two, is full of grace and truth. So the only son of the father, we have looked at it over and over again. I'm not going to spend time on that. He is the eternal son of God. We have established that. But what we are seeing here, the secondly, is the glory of this word, W-O-R-D, capital W, is full of grace and truth. That's how he's defining this. What does this mean? It means that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Church, His grace offers what? His grace offers love and compassion to guilty sinners, to you and I. That is why we are able to have that confidence in this world that at the end of our life's journey, there is a place for every one of us. It's because of His grace. And the truth means Jesus warns of God's judgment. Just if sinners do not repent and believe in Him, you have eternal condemnation. So this grace and truth that we are looking at, this glory, it reached their finale at the cross. Only at the cross, where the truth of God's holiness and justice was satisfied in the death 
of the perfect substitute so that how he now can offer grace to guilty sinners like you and I. It is only by believing the truth as it is in Jesus that you can experience God's grace and forgiveness. So church, listen. What does it mean to us, to you and I today? Since Jesus is full of grace, you can come to Him. Anyone can come to Him. You can come to Him knowing very well that He will welcome you. He will welcome you. And He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's the invitation to all of us. Because He is full of truth, we can trust his promises. So the question to you, based on this verse 14, do we trust him as our personal Lord and Savior? That's what John is trying to inject in this first, in his introduction to the Gospel of John. Let's move on to verse 15 now. Now, as we go into 15, John builds on the wonderful truths in verse 14 that we just heard about to give four more aspects of these glorious realities of His incarnation. That's what you're seeing in verses 15 to 18. Let's look at verse 15. Oh, sorry, I went too fast. Hmm. This is verse 15. It's my typo. Bear with me. John bore witness. Yes. Of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Let me read that again. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So what John are we talking about? There are so many Johns, we need to be sure that we understand which John this is. We are talking about John the Baptist, is what he's talking about here. So what we are seeing here, let me make the statement from verse 15 and explain to you. What he's trying to talk about, the glorious uh, realities of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus is greater than all prophets. Let me expand on that. That's what John is trying to tell us on this verse. Therefore, you can trust him. Therefore, you can believe in him. So, another translation, I love this new American Standard Bible translation, says this. John testified, John the Baptist, testified about him, Jesus, and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. That's another translation of the NASB. So what does John the Baptist mean by his statement, he who comes after me is preferred before me, or higher rank after, than me? You see, I mean, we, when you, in a practical terms, when you look at it, church, John was, John was literally six months older than Jesus. And he started his ministry before Christ, before Jesus started his ministry. So the, by the first part of the declaration, John is dispelling the common cultural view 
that the older man had a greater honor than the younger one. He's trying to dispel that then and there. He's saying that Jesus is the greater one. But hear what Jesus said about John the Baptist. So here is John the Baptist saying that he is greater. And here is how John, Jesus is saying about John the Baptist. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 11, 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So John, on the one hand, saying he is greater, and Jesus himself declares that John, there is no one, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So, Come along with me, church. So in verse 15, we see that John himself testified that Jesus was greater than himself. So if John's words about Jesus may be taken to point Jesus' pre-existence, not the physical birth he's talking about, pre-existence, then Jesus is greater than all the prophets. That's what we are concluding from here. Therefore, we should believe in Him. So that's the first glorious reality that we come of this incarnation. That Jesus is greater than all the prophets. Let's go on to verse number 16. Look at verse 16 now. And this fullness we have all received. Received what? And grace for grace. If you look at the ESV translation, this is what it says. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It's always good to read different translations because sometimes how we understand may differ if we literally take some words from the translation. So always check it out. So it means, let me make that statement here please and I'll, I'll explain this to you. The second glorious reality that John is talking about this incarnate Jesus is that Jesus provides abundant grace for all who believe in him. That's what John is, John is stating here, that Jesus provides abundant grace. Let me explain this to you. Now, when he talks about the full of grace here, it's the same thing that he mentioned in verse 14, which we heard earlier being read, full of grace and truth. I expanded on that. Now, when Paul wrote to the saints in Corinth, this is what he says about Jesus. Look at this passage. For in him, in whom? In Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So you have to make the connection between the two, please. John says, and his fullness, we all have received grace for grace. And Paul says that in him dwells all the fullness of Godhead bodily. So there's an infinite fullness, the very fullness of God in Jesus Christ. That's what you are learning from this. So when you put these two verses together, what do we get? As children of God, when we receive Jesus and trusting in him, and when we become children of God, we inherit we become heirs of all the riches because Jesus himself possesses everything full of grace, full of grace. 
And, and Paul says clearly, all, in him dwells all the fullness of God, its deity. And when you are a child of God, you possess everything. So verse 16 literally means, one theologian puts it this way, all who believe in Jesus, that applies to most of us here, and I would say all of us here, have received an abundant supply of all that our soul needs out of the full store that resides in him for his people. You know what? One of the songs I sing when I'm by myself, and especially at times when you are challenged with trials and tribulations and you feel a little bit down and low, and I'm telling you openly, I just open my hands and I sing, all that I've needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness. I don't understand it sometimes. But that's what you're learning here. That's what the songwriter, when he wrote, all that I've needed, thy hands have provided, great is thy faithfulness, is what is taken from this, this, these passages of Scripture. Every one of us should be able to say, but you may ask, Pastor, okay, I, I, I get it, but what does this grace for grace and grace upon grace simply means? What does it mean? It's interesting as you look at this, John uses a Greek preposition that really means that one thing is replaced by another. So in other words, it is a never-ending. It's a representation of a reservoir of grace. A reservoir that will never end. There is enough grace that you cannot say, I, I can't get that grace from God. So how does it impact you and me practically? You might say, Pastor, it's easy to say that Christ satisfies every need and His fullness and grace, but it's another thing to experience it in my own life. You might say, Pastor, in reality, it's so, it's so easy when problems hit us to run to our own resolutions than to stand and say, all I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness. When calamity hits us, especially I'm talking to believers here, most people turn to worldly techniques. We do. Not realizing we have a reservoir of grace, which is sufficient for every situation in our lives. We run into tranquilizers in whatever form it may be, even to alcohol or to reduce stress and different forms of, 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 of ways of taking our stresses away. But Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. That's what he says. In me, you'll have peace. But you're in trouble, you're running around looking for peace. And Paul says, do not be anxious, bring everything with thanksgiving in your heart, God will give you the peace of God. But we run, run around looking for peace outside. And maybe you're saying, Pastor, I tried everything, but the problem is not going away. If you are to be honest about this, most of you would slip your hands up and say, yes, pastor, I've tried everything. The problems are not going away. You know what, church? It happened to Paul. It happened to Apostle Paul. He tried everything. 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 The problems didn't go away. And then when the God, Lord told him what? My grace. My grace. The grace upon grace. 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Take from the reservoir of grace. So church, no matter what you are facing in your own life, the peace, the key to peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of the all-sufficient grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what John is trying to show to us here. The second glorious reality is Jesus. This Jesus that you're talking about, he provides abundant grace for all who believe in him. That's what he's talking about. Let's keep going. Verse number 17. Thirdly, he says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me make a statement here what the glorious reality of the incarnate Christ John is trying to say here. John is saying that Jesus is greater than Moses and the law. That's, John, that's what John is trying to tell you in verse 17. So why does John introduce the law and Moses here? So in essence, what John is saying is this. If you thought that God's gift and the law through Moses was a great thing, and it was. It was a good thing for the children of Israel. But what John is telling here, he has given us a greater thing now through Jesus Christ. That's what John is telling here. So church, on the outset, this may be offensive to the Jewish audience. How dare you say that? John is not offending them, and one theologian put it this way. John is saying, if you want an even more gracious demonstration of God's covenant love and faithfulness, come. It's found in Jesus Christ. So by Moses was given the law, the moral law, and we know what the moral law is all about, full of high and holy demands and stern threatening abound against disobedience. The ceremonial laws full of burdensome sacrifices and ordinances and ceremonies and and so on and so forth. And Augustine, one of the church fathers, he says this, the law threatened, it, not, it did not help. He says the law commanded, it did not heal. The law showed, but not took, not took away our feebleness. But he says it made ready for the physician who was to come with grace and truth. That's what you're talking about here today. So, but by Christ, on the other hand, John says... Here, to the audience who are listening to that, he came with grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace by the full manifestation of God's plan of salvation, church. That's grace. And he offers a complete pardon to every soul that believes in Jesus, to you and I. That is why, as I said earlier, that we have the confidence, no matter what trials we may face, at the end of our journey, we'll be with the Lord forever. The truth by the unveiled exhibition of Christ himself is the true sacrifice, the true priest, and the true atonement for our sins. And also, church, you note this in the verse number 17, is the first time John is now identifying what, who that word is. It's the first time he's saying it. Look at that. By grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ the Messiah of Israel. So in essence, John is saying in this particular verse 
the grace, God's grace and truth reached their apex at the cross. His truth demanded that the penalty of sin must be paid. And His grace provided Jesus, the eternal Son of God, as the payment for sin for all who believe in Him. So what does that mean to you and I today from this reality? We ought to make sure, church, that we have received God's gift of eternal life by trusting in Jesus Christ as your sin bearer. So that's the third lesson that we learned in this, in this introduction. And finally, we are looking at the last verse, verse number 18. No one, now all of a sudden John is injecting something here. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Let me tell you what the glorious reality here is. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation to us. That's what John is saying here. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation. So at first glance, this verse seems to come out of nowhere, isn't it? It doesn't flow well with the previous verses that we read. Why would John abruptly bring up the fact that no one has seen God? There may be two reasons for that, church. Number one, you know, if the backdrop we are talking about, I think I mentioned that at the very beginning, if it is Exodus 33 and 34... When Moses there asked God to show him his glory, I mentioned that at the very beginning of this, of the teaching today, what was God's response? He says, no man could see him and live. Do you get it? That's what God said. No man can see me and he will live. But here, as he brings it, you must come along with me very carefully, he is connecting, making a connection to this unseen God. To this unseen God. Church, know this please. We cannot know the invisible God unless God himself reveals himself to us. We cannot know the invisible God, which God is doing through this word, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, the word, is the only son of God, the one who was with God in the bosom of the Father. And how does he, look at the last, last verse here. He has declared him. God has declared him. Without God revealing it, there is no way that we are going to understand or see God. You see, the, the, the phrase that we are seeing here, the bosom of the Father, corresponds to the word was with God, is a close relationship, unbroken relationship that Jesus had with the Father. You know, we use words as we speak to people. The word that we speak explains an unseen thought, isn't it? When we speak to somebody, it's through the word that we explain an unseen thought, an unheard thought. In the same way, Jesus... The word, the capital W word, explains the unseen God. Explains the unseen God. The only way that you can know the Father is through Jesus, His Son. The only way. 
That's why John writes later on, we are going to study that, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. In John 5, 23, he states, he who does not honor the Father, honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You know what it means, church? The cults. Or for that matter, anybody else who may be defending different religious beliefs who deny the deity of Jesus, they cannot come to God. They cannot see God because Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the ultimate revelation. That is why, church, the, some of these statements can be offensive to others. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's offensive to people today. God is revealed only in Christ. That is what it means when God has declared Him. That's what it means. So these claims found in the Gospels shock the postmodern sensibilities, the people who debate and argue about these things. They say you are, you are, you are being very rude, you are very self-focused, you are very self-centered, and you are one way. You are how exclusive and how rude it can be. There's only one thing most people outside the Christian community agree on when it comes to Jesus is this. It's a common thing people say, that he is not actually God. Isn't it? You heard that. That's what they say. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He was a teacher. But John the Apostle, as he declares the glorious realities of the incarnate Christ, closes this prologue, this introduction in verse 18 by saying, God has declared him. Case closed. That's what John is saying here. Case closed. Jesus is God. He is the ultimate revelation to God. So like Thomas, we have a responsibility now. What do we do? We should echo my Lord and my God. So, we, so John, in this passage of Scripture, he is giving glorious realities of his incarnation. And the last one we looked at is Jesus is God's ultimate revelation. Let, let, let me display all four of them in these verses that we've studied today. Jesus is greater than all the prophets. That's what he found in verse 15. Jesus provides abundant grace, verse 16. Jesus is greater than Moses and the law, verse 17. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation to us. Church, in light of knowing who this incarnate Jesus is, what is your response? What is your response? My appeal to every one of you is that let us echo with Thomas, my Lord and my God. Shall I ask you to stand, let's pray and worship him to come.
Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for ministering to us today through your servant, Apostle John, and for revealing to us the glorious realities of the incarnate Jesus Christ. And thank you for affirming us, O God, today and, and convicting us so that we, can, we too can echo with Thomas and say, my Lord and my God. And I pray in Jesus' name that anybody who heard this message today, if they had questions about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, O oh God, that the Spirit of the Lord will convict them and, and cause them to understand who Christ is. And our response would be the same as that of Thomas, my Lord and my God. So help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.